Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Kevin, oh my God, I discovered or rediscovered a show last night on Netflix that is absolutely blowing my mind at the moment oh yeah what's that have you did you ever watch robot wars uh no oh my (laughs) god are you kidding me it is unbelievable so unfortunately the show isn't around anymore but basically uh they get like smart teams of people often they're like university teams they're like all mechanical engineers they come together and they build like robots and then they put them uh, on a stage and they have them fight until like the death basically and they're all like remote controlled robots and then around like the perimeter of the cage that they fight in they have like a big hammer which is going down like smashing the robots they have like spinning saws it's unbelievable these robots breathe fire like it's it's crazy and i cannot believe that this show has been cancelled Wow, George, and you're disappointed by this cancellation? <laughs> yes, yes. It, it went from like 2016 to 2018, and I just have no idea why it's cancelled. Have you heard of uh, Lego Wars, watched Lego Wars, hosted by Hamish Blake? I don't think I have either. Okay. I'm oh, right. beginning to get a theme here of me having a very deprived childhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's running now, and it, it's it's bizarre because, I mean, they get, like, teams of people who are Lego enthusiasts, and under, like, certain time constraints, they have to build, I mean, like, pieces of Lego. And in my view, that's just a way worse version of Robot Wars. 
Like Robot Wars is way, <laughs> way cooler. Like bring back budget to Robot Wars. I just don't understand why it isn't still going, Kevin. Oh, that's a shame, George. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe watch some TV that's suitable for your own age group. Excuse me, this is suitable for my own age group. I would like I would like to see a child put together these robots, Kevin. All right, these things are absolutely incredible. They're real robots. Kids are smart these days, George. It's Kids not are smart these days. You know, I, I think it's so nice in this world of uh, CGI to just see some real physical robots just go at it. You know, yeah, it's fine. It's nice to see what's real, Kevin. People are craving authentic authentic experiences, and this is one of them. <laughs> Fair enough, George. Fair enough. Is there any TV show uh, that you used to love that you wish would come back? Uh, not really. Not really. Uh, none really come to mind. Look, I think the TV shows that I watched when I was younger are very different to uh, what I would want to consume now. And yeah, I just don't see uh, how any of them would keep my interest these days versus back then. So, Did you have quite restricted viewing growing up? Was there a big list of banned TV shows in the Chen household? Uh, not really, George. Um, but then again, I was uh, really learning English uh, at the time uh, through much of my childhood. So <laughs> uh, the TV restrictions weren't, weren't as much of an issue. <laughs> well, now you make me feel bad, Kevin. Okay. All right. I, you, had, you had better, more important things to do. I understand. I understand. Anyway, Kevin, TV shows aside, maybe we should talk about something a little bit more useful and hopefully something that's more evergreen than Robot Wars for our listeners. This season, Kev, we're talking about Be Seen. And uh, Be Seen is, of course, the third B in our five Bs framework. And it's really about how to start building relationships at scale and actually win over some key accounts. And we said that there's really two ways of branching off when it comes to Be Seen. You said you can first really use paid advertising to amplify the really awesome, helpful content that you're putting out there and do that from a creating demand perspective. And the other way that you can do it is you can start to look at more tailored approaches and working with sales to close accounts. And we call that, Kevin, account-based marketing, ABM. And we're right in the middle of going through step-by-step how our listeners can go through and get their first ABM campaign up and running. In the first week, Kev, we talked about uh, how to define the targets of ABM, which is really about how to narrow a, a smaller list of accounts who are high value. And then we spoke in uh, the second step about how we can position ourselves and create messaging accordingly to make sure that what we're offering is the perfect fit for the clients that we're pitching that to. And then uh, last week, Kev, we went through step three, which is about how to start forming relationships with these key accounts in ABM. And we gave people some warm-up plays, to, um, which is really, I guess, like a sneaky way of building relationships with people. And we told them that there's a few ways to do that. One is like, you know, inviting them on your podcast or asking them to be involved in market research. Ways of really getting to know uh, these target accounts and the key people in the buying committee a little longer. And Kev... Now we're on to step four, aren't we? Yes, that's right, George. This week we are talking about step four of the ABM approach, and that is how to activate these accounts that are now warmed up and how can we start turning them into paying customers? 
So again, as George said, these are the accounts that have already been warmed up after we've selected them through that process of ABM approach that we talked about in the previous weeks. Ideally, at this stage, we should have collected enough information so that we can really deliver that personalized pitch to each of those accounts so we can start to activate them. So the things that you should know by now for that selected list of customers that you're going after with your ABM approach include who is the buying committee, what are the business goals, and what the pain points are. As well as this, you should also know what challenges they are facing. Listeners, if you don't have each of these parts of that information about your key accounts that you're targeting, you can always supplement your intel with an additional bit of research. Google and LinkedIn are really a great place to start and your friend. Yeah, that's it, Kev. We want to have at hand and really documented uh, key information at both the account and the business level and on the personal level. So we want personal information about the buying committee. Uh, Because, Kev, in these activation plays, uh, when when we're approaching someone who's already warmed up, we're trying to really create a very personalized experience for them, which uh, leads at the end to them booking a meeting or a demo or something to really get us to that next stage, to get one step closer to actually closing this deal before we really hand over to sales. And a great place to start here is to separate the level that you're looking at. So you can start by looking at the business account level as well. So you can really start by looking at the business account level and then move on to personal level of people, individuals that you know are in the particular business's buying committee. So at the business account level, uh, you maybe want to check out the business level social media accounts. You maybe want to check public press releases and interviews from your key accounts. What are the spokespeople talking about when they talk to the public? Maybe they've made some financial goals or they've met some financial goals or they've got some objectives that the public knows about. It would be good to be aware of all these things before going in to talk about how your product can help them meet those objectives, those goals. Yes, all of this stuff is so helpful for delivering a really tailored, personalized pitch that's actually going to get some cut through. And Kev, as we said, we want to move just beyond business and company account information and we want to go to personal information. So... We discussed how you can define who the buying committee is. And just a reminder for our listeners, the buying committee is those people who have some influence on the decision uh, internal to a company as to whether or not they use your product or service. And we said that includes the decision maker being the person who holds the purse strings, the influencer, people, influencers, people who influence that decision maker. Uh, You also have the champion who's the person who really wants your product, who is often the end user of it, and the blocker, the person who doesn't want it. And we wanted to deliver really personalized pitches for the select people within that buying committee. So Kevin, to deliver personalized experiences, it makes sense to give their socials a bit of a stalk, doesn't it? We want to check out their LinkedIn because that's going to tell us what they care about. But a lot of people trying to use LinkedIn as a really authentic channel. So they might post things that they're really interested in. Like Kevin, anyone could glean from my LinkedIn profile that I'm an absolute golf nut. So that is information that you could use in a personalized pitch, right? If they're not active on LinkedIn, a lot of people are active on other social platforms like maybe Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And you can see what their personal interests are. Kev, you're a very private person, but I bet that I could go to one of your social profiles and I could get something quite personal about you and incorporate that information 
into a pitch, whether it's like sending you a gift or talking about something that you love and you'd probably love it. Yeah, you're probably right, George. Um, as much as I like to be private, these things slip through. And listeners, we're not telling you to be you know, A-grade stalkers out there and, and result in having restraining orders taken out against you. What we're saying here is actually just taking a personal interest in the people that you're going to be talking to, going to be pitching to in these businesses that you want to win the, the business of. Uh, think about uh, what we talked about last week, about understanding these, or a couple of weeks ago even, about understanding these accounts and getting to know them as well as friends. Um, so if it was a friend uh, that you're trying to get to know, a new friend that you've made, you'd want to get to know them more. You want to check out their social profiles. You want to see what their interests and hobbies are and see if there's any common ground that you can talk to. That's really just there to help facilitate a much more productive conversation with someone so that you can show you're coming in with the best of intentions to establish a genuine relationship with the, uh, with the people in these buying committees. And then the conversation when it comes to business is a lot easier to approach uh, where it doesn't feel like you're selling to them anymore. You are just talking about what will benefit them uh, and maybe even shortcomings and saying this is how you can approach those in terms of what your product can and can't offer and making sure they're making the right decision for their business. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Kev, I'll just give a quick example. Remember back when we reached out to our, one of our favorite marketing podcasters, Tim Reed, from the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast, we wanted to get in touch with Timbo because we thought, who knows, it's great to start a relationship and you know maybe there'd be some way we can mutually uh, benefit each other down the road. And we thought, well, Tim's a, a busy guy. You know, He's quite big here in Australia. He's got a lot of global listeners. How do we get in touch with him? How can we get him to respond to us? And we both realized that he's actually an avid um, ocean swimmer. Every morning he gets out in Noosa, jumps in the ocean and goes swimming with a whole group of people. We found that out because he actually talks about it a few times, you know, in one of his many, many podcasts. So we went, bang, that's something that Timbo really cares about. And my God, Kevin, you have to care about it if you are getting up at like 6 a.m. every morning and throwing yourself into the like cold waters, right? First thing in the morning. Admittedly, Noosa water is much warmer, but right, you have to care about it. So he clearly loves it. So remember, we thought it'd be a really cool idea to get the logo um, of his podcast, which actually has his face on it and some headphones wrapped around it. I think there's a microphone in there too. We got my sister, who's a graphic designer, to like uh, make it look a little bit cooler. Then we sent it off to budgie smugglers, which for people who don't know, budgie smugglers are basically just like speedos that mostly guys wear and things that we used to be embarrassed that our dads would wear down at the beach, but are now kind of back in <laughs> vogue. 
and uh, we got them printed on swimmers and sent it to him. And he loved it. Sure enough, we got a big thank you email from him and it gave us an opportunity to open up a dialogue with a real marketing icon that probably wouldn't have given us the time of day to chat to him otherwise. Yeah, and I think we both benefited from that conversation. You know, we learned a lot about what Tembo's up to and we continued to learn a lot from his podcast, but it was really great to establish that kind of relationship, uh, one-on-one relationship with him that I'm sure going into the future will continue to benefit from on both sides. Right, so in that example, Kevin, we weren't after like a specific outcome. So it's perhaps not the best use of ABM, but we just wanted to develop that relationship with him. Here, of course, listeners, when you are doing these personalized targeted outreach, we are trying to get cut through. You do want it to eventually generate business for you. Uh, but in, in that example, that was really just a way that you can take personal information and use it to start a relationship with someone. And Kevin, all of this company account and personal information that you're gathering, it's great to actually document it and put it in a spreadsheet. So you can share it across your wider marketing team and also sales can access it when you hand over to sales. Yeah, and there's tools out there that can help facilitate that process like LinkedIn Sales Navigator. But as George said, beyond having just a simple spreadsheet, it's really all a bonus. A spreadsheet can do that job just fine. And again, I just want to compound what George said there. It's really important to document a lot of this information um, as you start to talk to multiple uh, business accounts, as you start to talk to individuals within each of the buying committees, the number of people that you're doing this research on really grows and you start to lose track of all the information. So it is important to document it because you're going to need all that information to inform how that activation outreach then goes from there. And Kev, it's probably worth just emphasizing why personalization is so important. Again, we've spoken about this before in previous episodes, but personalization is really important because it's the only way to cut through the noise uh, and to really gain people's trust to show that you care about them and their interests and you're really working in their best interests. If you cared enough to do that research to get to know them, you probably care enough about the product or service that you're selling to them. It really instills a bit of confidence in both your products, how you're interacting with them, and the relationship that you're trying to build with them. Kevin, I think another reason that um, this really personalized outreach process works and why it works especially well when accompanied with a gift is, um, I've just been reading the book Influence, and it talks about how one way to I guess really influence people to do what you want them to do is to use the element of reciprocity. Humans are essentially programmed, Kevin, that uh, once we receive something, once someone does a favor to us, we are far more inclined to then do something back for them when asked. So if I go out to the vending machine, Kevin, and uh, bring you back a Coke, right, and you didn't even ask for one and you say thank you, and then uh, later that day I go, oh, hey, Kev, (laughs) Um, I actually forgot my lunch today. Uh, Do you reckon you could spot me for today? you're probably far more inclined to actually go ahead and and say yes, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. It's just human nature, isn't it? Um, And treating others like you want to be treated at the end of the day, it really helps. And it is um, a tried and true method of uh, developing relationships and getting to know one another and building a sense of trust. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in the office, Kevin, in the US office where Dwight goes and drives to New York and then brings back a whole lot of fresh bagels for everyone. And he goes around the office giving them these free bagels one by one. And as they all say thank you, Dwight goes, oh, that's okay. You can just owe me one. And, you know, (laughs) perhaps if Dwight 
didn't uh, bring so much attention to the fact that uh, he was doing this purely for that reciprocity effect, um, it would have been far more successful. But great play from Dwight. That's, that's exactly what this is all about. Yeah, that's a great example, George. <laughs> I think the listeners have enough context now. Why don't we jump straight in with the outreach methods on how to then activate and turn those warmed up leads into dream customers? Yeah, Kev, I think that the best outreach method is one which actually stands out from the crowd. I mean, at the moment, I love using direct mail, uh, things that people can hold physically, things that people like receive to their office, to their home address, if, if you have that. Direct mail is awesome because at the moment, I don't know about you, Kevin, but I get so little direct mail. I also, Kevin, get very little uh, direct mail that's positive. I don't really know if you remember, but when I was a kid, if I ever got mail, it was always so good. It was like an invitation to a birthday party or something. And then you become an adult. And then every time you get mail, you go, oh no, this is like another bill that I need to pay. They're the only people who seem to mail you is people who want something from you. That and the local politician who's asking for the vote. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. The two types of letters that adults get. That's why, Kevin, it is awesome to send some mail with a personalized pitch and a gift to your dream, pro- your dream customers, your prospects. I think it does really stand out, George. I think you're right. It is very positive, but also the physical aspect of it is so different from everything else that we see these days. Everything is digitized. It's always a, a message uh, either on email or through a social media platform. A piece of direct mail and particularly if it's personalized, really stands out, really gives you a sense that someone actually sat down and bothered to figure out how to personalize this, had to arrange delivery, had to get it then out to the right address and make sure you received it on time if there's some time limit to it. So as you said, George, direct mail. I definitely would agree that's top of the list for me as well. Kev, I don't know about you, but since I was you know, a young kid, any time that I got a present, like if I had a birthday party and kids brought me presents over, the next day my mum would make me sit down and what would she make me do? She'd make me write a whole lot of thank you cards and then, you know, either deliver them at school the next day or the next week to those kids or send them back via mail. So it elicited a response and that's why these things have such high response rates. We've all just been ingrained and, and trained to at least reach back out and thank that other person. I'll tell you what, George, even if they don't have a 100% response rate, they're probably going to have a 100% open rate. And that's more than you can say about a lot of the advertising channels or outreach channels that you can use today. And on top of that, you get that little bit of engagement. If someone else, if you're sending it to an office, if somebody else is at home with that person, they're going to talk about it. They're going to have a little discussion about, oh, what's that package from? That looks different. Who's that from? What's the message? You know, that little bit of interaction, that little bit of um, engagement beyond uh, maybe a like or a comment, if it's something digital that's been communicated, that makes a difference. That already starts that offline word of mouth uh, discussion that really gets going and hopefully affecting the buying committee. Yeah, that's such a good point, Kevin. I mean, that box is so likely to sit on that person's desk. And if you are in the office, the chances of, you know, your boss like coming into your room and seeing that box or someone else who's in that buying committee is actually probably pretty high. And it fuels and sparks that conversation, as you said. All right, Kev. So what does personalized outreach look like? Kevin, let's indulge me for a moment, just this time. (laughs) And let's pretend that someone wants to sell me their content creation services. 
So Kev, um, I actually get pitches like this all the time um, in our B2B playbook inbox because people see that we're pumping out a whole lot of content and people come in and they think, oh, this is probably someone who wants to outsource this. So let's imagine that this business is trying to sell me their content creation services. Okay, Kevin, we're only talking about this activation stage as well. So hopefully by this stage, this content creation company, this service, hopefully they've already stroked my ego, right? They've uh, started building a relationship with me by already asking me on a podcast or asking me to do some joint research or asking me to comment on the state of, I don't know, content creation in B2B marketing. Basically, Kevin, I want to make sure that they've stroked my ego, they've run some kind of warm-up play. And in this time, they've discovered that, you know, I'm doing the bulk of the content creation for the B2B playbook. And with the B2B incubator uh, launching really shortly or scaling up shortly, I could really use some help to get some time back. So Kev, I would also expect that if they've been listening to the... um, to the, to the podcast so far this season, they'll also know that they should probably be following me on LinkedIn and engaging with me on LinkedIn because that's where I mainly hang out. Uh, they should also have a really good feel as to the kind of content that we create on the B2B playbook. And they should really have some kind of grasp of the fact that we talk about the five B's framework. And that's what we do every week here is we share the five B's framework. Now, Kev, as I said, our inbox is always flooded with people trying to pitch us something. And as you know, I'm not the best with email and responding to all our emails. So outreach into our email inbox, that could very easily get lost. Um, as you often has to have to remind me that there's some things there that need uh, attention being paid to. Now, Kev, I think you and I would always be so reluctant to outsource um, this content creation because it has to be so aligned with our brand and exactly what we're doing here at the B2B Playbook. So I think a good piece of outreach will really show that they've made the effort to get to know me personally and the B2B Playbook and our framework, because then I know that they at least care, right? They care enough to take those steps. Kev, it would also be pretty clear, like I mentioned earlier, this episode, um, to those that follow me on LinkedIn or listen to the podcast that I am a golf tragic. You know, I absolutely love golf. So a piece of outreach that sends me some golf balls or maybe a book on Tiger Woods is definitely going to get my attention. If you accompany that with a proposal that somehow ties your knowledge about me with your solution to my pain points, and you've got me, Kev, hook, line, and sinker. And Kev, this isn't just a way of me trying to get people to send me golf balls. I'm just using this as an example so people can then take this and apply it to their own clients with their own interests and their own pain points. I was going to say, George, you might be getting a lot of golf balls in the, in the mail just because of this episode, but um, it's important to put that qualifier in there. I actually saw Kevin, a uh, CMO on LinkedIn, just post, for those who are sending me gifts, uh, in particular golf balls, I would just like to let you know that you know I play uh, Pro V1s, which is you know the type of golf ball <laughs> <laughs> that he uses, and that is such a great way of doing it because probably the worst thing, Kevin, is when someone gifts you golf balls, but they clearly don't understand golf and they just send you the wrong type because you just can't use them. Oh dear, <laughs> oh dear. So, Kev, let's pretend that someone has sent me a book on Tiger Woods. I've probably already read it, but let's pretend that they sent me one that I haven't read before. And accompanying that book is a letter addressed to me. I open it up and it might say something like, hey, George, 
Did you know that Tiger Woods nearly missed his tea time at an Open Championship because he was busy washing his own car? Little fun fact. Uh, I might not know that fun fact. Of course I did. But then again, I've written this. <laughs> then after that, it might say, we all love to get into the weeds on our passions, but we bet that you'd like to make a few more tea times yourself. There we go. We're tying it back to uh, my passion for golf and perhaps that idea, playing on that idea that I want to save some time to get to some more uh, golf myself. Then it might say, as a founder scaling their business, it's important to get some time back and outsource work that can be done by someone else. Tiger loved washing his car, but still had a chef everywhere he went. You too can keep doing the things you love, but save time on the more tedious tasks when repurposing content for the B2B playbook. At, insert your company name, we help founders of small media companies outsource their content repurposing, but in a way that their passionate audience doesn't realize it's done by someone else. We can help founders get hours a week back. Of course, Kev, beyond that, you would probably want to touch on my pain points more, uh, tie that to their own solutions, and then at the end have like a, a call to action um, about perhaps setting up a next meeting or, you know, perhaps arranging like a, a free demo of that product or that service. Uh, you also want to mention your role specific value proposition. So they're talking to me as a founder. And so the value proposition to me as a founder might be different than Kev if we had perhaps a marketing manager that we employed. Uh, because of course, like authenticity is really important to us. Saving time is really important to us. But what's important to us might be slightly different to a marketing manager that we employ. So you want to include your role specific value proposition. And of course, as I mentioned, Kevin, the crucial thing is always to have a call to action that establishes next steps. So that might be scheduling a 20 minute call. It might be arranging a free demo, whatever it is. I'll tell you what, George, that's a pretty good email. If only you were marketing to yourself. Um, but listeners, that's the idea. That's the kind of familiarity we want you to get into and to use when you start activating your ABM approach targets. You need to get to know them almost as well as yourself. You need to be able to use the information you've collected about what their personal habits are, what their interests are, what their hobbies are, and use that information to drive a pitch that makes sense, that will resonate and cut through. And pair it with things like direct mail because that works. Um, that works to get people's attention and to get them to read your message that then does the rest of the work. That's it, Kev. And uh, this hypothetical company that's trying to win our services, they should also be sending you gifts, Kevin. They should be sending a personalized proposal to you too. You're a member of the buying committee, right? If anything, I would say you're probably more the decision maker than I am. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm normally the champion of these things and Kevin normally holds the purse strings. And so definitely you need to send Kevin some things. No, no, George, we both sit on the buying committee. And as you said there, the roles are different. You're the champion. I might be the blocker. Um, we're both <laughs> decision makers uh, and we both influence each other. Um, but we are both part of the buying committee and it is a valid point. You should be trying to reach and personalize a message to each person in the buying committee that you know. All right, Kev, what do you want them to send you? What, what gift would you like? George, I'm a very private person, like you said. I don't want to put things out there. <laughs> They're going to have to work hard. They're going to have to work harder than that. <laughs> oh, very good. Very, very funny. But no, George, it's a pretty open book there on my socials. Um, the things that we talk about on LinkedIn, it's all there. The things we talk about on the podcast, anyone who 
who's trying to reach us, it's easy for them to figure out these things. If they just start with what you put in that pitch email to you, that's a pretty good starting point when it's related to what we're talking about in the B2B playbook. And listeners, I'm just going to share that Kevin loves cars. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to buy him a car, maybe a little matchbox car. That might be nice, Kevin. <laughs> oh, George, you'll lead our listeners astray. Very, um, very picky with cars. Uh, <laughs> uh, only a select few that I like and not obvious choices. Okay, maybe not cars. That could be a surefire way to get shut down if it's the wrong one. <laughs> Anyway, Kev, I think the key thing uh, when we're measuring how this personalized outreach is going is let's look at the response rate. You know, what percentage of people bothered to actually reply to out of those that you sent the gift to? It's probably going to be pretty close to 100%. And if they're the kind of person who doesn't respond when you send them a gift, you know what, Kev? Maybe they're not the kind of people you want to do business with. Yeah, they might not be your dream customers in that case. You know, maybe they're not in that 20% that brings in the 80% value. They might not be that easy to work with long-term. You never know. Off that high response rate as well, George, I think you can probably have a look at the opportunity rate that comes through over time. Uh, I'm sure if listeners, you're following this approach well, and if you're doing your due diligence and your homework on your buying committees, then that opportunity rate will definitely improve over time, I'm sure, with these methods. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're not going to get 100% there. Uh, you know, there's going to be people who are going to reply and you're going to form a relationship with them, but they might just say, look, we're just not in the market or we are very happy with that current vendor. But it's great to form those relationships anyway. But as Kev said, if you have been following these steps that we've been sharing, your opportunity rate is going to be as high as possible. Kev, the next step is really after all that happens is for sales to follow up with them. So now marketing can sort of hand off to sales and really the reason that we want you to document all of this in Google Sheets just initially is because then you have a dashboard um, that you can hand over to sales full of that information about the accounts, about the people who are in the buying committee in those accounts. And from there, we just want to map out who contacts who, when they're going to contact them, what the next goal is, you know, what that call to action is. Are we trying to get into a free demo? Are we trying to get them into like, you know, just a 20 minute conversation? It's great to try and map out all the possible replies and objections that you might get and how to handle those objections for the sales team. And this is going to be something that you probably improve over time, Kevin, as you start to get more feedback from existing accounts that you've reached out to. And Kev, we're going to cover all that in more detail next week. I think it'd be really awesome, Kev, if at the end of this season, we get a sales pro in as well. I know we're a marketing podcast, but sales have to come in at some point, especially when it comes to ABN. So it'd be awesome to get a sales pro to come in and talk about this. And finally, Kev, we can probably discuss uh, also how marketing can make that handover to sales and that feedback loop with sales as easy as possible. So talk about things like sales enablement. So looking forward to digging into that uh, in the future. That sounds great, George. And listeners, stay tuned. All right then, key takeaways for this week. Activation campaigns are key to turning relationships into paying customers. They should be highly personalized to key members of the buying committee. Remember you're dealing with people. You need to meet their needs as a company and at the personal level. That personalization is key to standing out from the crowd. So get creative and highly personal when it comes to your outreach. Well summarized, Kevin. 
Listeners, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And next week, as I mentioned, we're going to look a bit more about how sales can follow up as part of the activation process. And we're going to look at how to start activating these accounts now that they've been warmed up and the reporting metrics too for you to look at to see how your ABM campaigns are doing. We're grateful that every week, more and more marketers tune in each Monday. If we could ask for one thing, it would be to please leave a short review on whatever platform you listen on or pass it on to someone that would get value from the show. It's an amazing help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. Take care and see you next week, listeners. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, listeners. Catch you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.